<laughs> Shabbat Shalom. We are in a continuing series on the gospel on the book of Mark. Today's part 13. Uh, we looked last week at the uh, stories of, of the woman with the issue of blood and the raising of, of Jairus daughter from Mark chapter 5. Uh, but I want to revisit this chapter one more time uh, from a, a different perspective today uh, and focus on lessons that we can learn today on how to build our faith. So turn with me to Mark 5, beginning in verse 21, and we have it uh, on the overhead as well, Mark 5, uh, 21. Uh, when Yeshua had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then... One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, came, and when he saw Yeshua, uh, he, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Yeshua went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And it spent all that she had, and yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Yeshua, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Uh, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Uh, at once, Yeshua realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? And you see people crowded against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, uh, who touched me? But Yeshua kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. While Yeshua was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Uh, overhearing what they said, Yeshua told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the bro of James' brother. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Yeshua saw a commotion with people crying and, and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion? Why the wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them out, he, he took the child and the mother and the, uh, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and, and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. These are two stories about faith. We focus on other aspects of these stories if you, if you were here last time. So today I'd like us to focus on this key theme. Because faith is the doorway by which you find spiritual reality. It's the way you connect to God. It's the way to salvation. And Yeshua is the consummate teacher of faith, uh, as we see in these two accounts. 
Believing is the key to the healing uh, for both the woman with the issue of blood uh, uh, and, and for Jairus and his, his daughter. Uh, and Yeshua carefully arranges things. I got a lot of feedback here. Maybe you can fix this on the, on the mic. Yeshua ar- ar- carefully arranges things so that each healing has a particular audience uh, and a particular message. Yeshua makes sure that what's done with the woman uh, is uh, with the issue of blood is done in the very most public of all ways. Uh, he wants everybody to see this miracle. He wants everyone to know this. He wants everybody to remember this. Uh, so he forces her to go public uh, and, and, and to have everyone witness this healing. And yet, with Jairus' daughter, he's very particular uh, and selective and purposely only, only lets a very small number of people uh, see this healing of, of raising her from the dead. He won't, let, he won't even let all of his disciples go, but only Peter, James, and John. And he won't let the whole family witness the resurrection, but only the parents. Why? Uh, and also Yeshua says, don't tell anyone. I don't want anyone to know that this is for you. Why? It's because Yeshua is giving us wonderful lessons. He's the consummate teacher. He's giving us basic lessons with the healing of the woman with the issue of blood and how to have basic faith, the basic faith you need to enter into a relationship with Yeshua and be saved. But with the little girl's healing, he gives us advanced lessons on faith uh, to his inner ring of disciples and to the synagogue leader, Jairus. Uh, these advanced lessons about our, our, about how to grow uh, and to mature in our faith and become more and more like him, more and more like Yeshua. So this passage really gives us, gives us a whole manual uh, on faith. And on the overhead we're here, we're going to look at three things today. Number one, the need for these lessons on faith. Number two, the basic lessons. And then number three, uh, the advanced lessons. So first, uh, the need uh, for these lessons. Uh, again, it's getting a lot of popping here in the microphone, if you could fix that. So, so first, uh, the need for the lessons. Uh, why do we need these lessons on faith? Uh, this woman, she comes up and touches Yeshua. Uh, and, and everyone's crowded around him. Okay, how's that? Thank you. All right, technical issues here. Thank you. So first, the, the need for these lessons. So why do we need lessons on faith? The woman, she comes up and she touches Yeshua. Everyone's crowding around him. They're crowding against him. Yeshua's this famous healer and, and miracle worker. Uh, people were thronging him, uh, pushing up against him, maybe even hugging and kissing him. They were embracing him, wanting to be near him, uh, to get his attention. He was being thronged by all of his devotees. And Yeshua's disciples, uh, his bodyguards, if you will, they're all around him as well. And Yeshua turns around and he says, someone touched me. And the disciples, they react with with confusion and and amusement, perhaps a little bit of disdain and and rudeness. They're astonished uh, because these crowds are all pressing up against Yeshua. And yet he would ask, who touched me? It's like Yeshua says, somebody touched me. And the disciples say, duh, you think? <laughs> Everybody's touching you. What do you mean someone's touching you? Uh, uh, they're, they're thronging you. They're hugging you. They're kissing you. They're throwing themselves at you. Uh, they're down at your feet. Uh, of course they're touching you on the overhead. But here's the scary thing. This crowd was all around him, thronging him. In close proximity to him, but only one person had the faith that actually connected to him. Again on the overhead. You can be around Yeshua your whole life. 
You can be crowding him. You can be talking about him. Uh, you can be admiring him. Uh, you can be inspired by him. Uh, you can go to shul. You can, read, you can go to Bible studies. Uh, you can go to youth group. Uh, it's very possible to be up against Yeshua, but never really touch him. It's her faith that distinguishes this woman. Yeshua tells her, the difference between your touch and everybody else's was your faith. Yeshua says, everyone's touching my cloak. Everyone. So it was not the touch that distinguished her or got Yeshua's attention. Or Yeshua says, this is not what healed you. It was your faith. Now, the ability to be around Yeshua and yet not connect to him, that's frightening. If the truth be known, there's an awful lot of us who've crowded Yeshua for a long time and yet have never touched him. Maybe you felt inspired, you know, when you were part of a congregation that you grew up in uh, back home. But when you moved away, God was no longer very real to you. Or you were were inspired by the religious devotion of your family or or your friends. And then you moved away or you went off to school uh, or you went off to the military. uh, And your family and your friends, they were no longer there to reinforce your commitment. And suddenly, Yeshua is no longer real to you. What does that say about the genuineness of the depth of your faith? It means perhaps you were experiencing Yeshua vicariously, not through others, but you never really experienced Yeshua yourself. You never touched him. Uh, you can throng uh, and crowd him, but you need faith, true saving faith, where you trust Yeshua with your life if you can have any kind of connection to him at all. Now, that's point number one, the need for these lessons on faith. Okay, and the overhead. Uh, number two, let's look at the basic lessons on faith. Let's look at four lessons uh, under a heading of four key words that this woman with the issue of blood tells us about. And by the way, this story is repeated in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, because, number one, it was so important. And number two, because the apostles probably used this story uh, in their preaching of the good news of Yeshua. The apostles primarily did not preach abstract theological principles or propositional sermons, you know, about what does it mean to be a Messianic believer. No, like Yeshua himself, they were what the rabbis call agadic teachers. Uh, They told stories. Uh, They gave examples uh, like this one. Here's how you connect to Yeshua. The story of the woman with the issue of blood is a whole manual on how to have faith and connect to him. So on the overhead, uh, four things we're taught here uh, under four key words. Number one, desperation. Number two, information. Number three, direction. Number four, substitution. So first, first uh, desperation. Marcus here, very careful to tell us that only about, about the suffering that, that this woman experienced uh, uh, due to her condition. He tells us not only that, but also the suffering she experienced by all her attempted cures. This woman had a flow of blood uh, for 12 years, there was something wrong with her reproductive system. And as a result, she, she was passing blood constantly. And in addition to this making her ritually unclean, it would have been very weakening to her physically. But Mark, uh, he, he goes out of his way to tell us that not only was she sick of, from all that, that wasn't the only thing she was sick of. She wasn't just sick of her suffering. She was sick of all the cures for her suffering. Uh, she'd been going to doctors uh, for years and years. Look at Mark 5, verse 26. 
She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had, and then instead of getting better, she grew worse. By the way, the cures were terrible back then. We have some of them recorded in the Mishnah and the Talmud. Uh, there's a whole chapter on the Mishnah about, about these, these types of cures. For example, it says that if a woman has a flow of blood, you're to take a goblet of wine and fill it with, with the powder of pulverized rubber, alum, and garden crocuses. <laughs> uh, pulverize it, mix it up, drink up. Yeah. <laughs> and all the other cures listed were, were just as, as, as absurd and just as bad. You can tell from this alone that, you know, the Mishnah and the Talmud, they are not inspired texts. Uh, they list these terrible cures. And, the, and she had not only gone through all this, but she had also lost all her money. Uh, she probably had been at one time a, a woman of means, uh, but now she's destitute. She spent all she had on doctors. So this woman was desperate. Not only because of her suffering, but because she had decided, this world cannot help me. I cannot help myself, and no human being can help me. Nothing can help me. Now, coming to this place of desperation and realizing that this, this present material finite world has no solution is an extremely important place for you to come to. Uh, if you're in a place of spiritual searching today, uh, maybe you're here because somebody invited you, or you found us on the Internet, or maybe your parents made you come. <laughs> but however you got here today, the fact is, maybe you've been reading the Bible or, or doing some spiritual searching. Why? Often, it's because there's some trouble or crisis or trauma in your life. And God is using it to get your attention. The scriptures say that deep inside all of us, we have this empty, bleeding center of our soul. We have a feeling of inadequacy. Uh, we have a certain emptiness. We feel we have to prove ourselves. Uh, and so we go to all sorts of different kinds of doctors. Uh, and we look for all sorts of different kinds of cures. We, we, we have to do something about this void that we sense in our life. So we throw ourselves into our career, or, or we look for love, or, or we search spiritually. Maybe someone uh, who you thought loved you has pulled away from you. Uh, or maybe your career has hit a plateau, or, or maybe even a downturn. Uh, and so you're searching spiritually. Uh, and now it's one thing to come to Yeshua and to say to him, if I come to you, will you help me in my career? Uh, or will you help me find true love? It's one thing to come to Yeshua, to come to him because you're bleeding and you're suffering. Uh, and you're hoping Yeshua is going to help you uh, and meet your needs, and turn your situation around. But it's another whole thing, a completely different paradigm, to say, I'm coming to you, Yeshua, not as a means to get these things, but as an alternative to them. I don't only want to come to you because I'm suffering, uh, but I'm also ready to, to give you, to give up on all my doctors, uh, all my old doctors, all my old cures and on the overhead. I'm not saying, Lord, if I come to you, will you help me find true love? I'm coming to you as my true love. Lord, I'm not coming to you and saying, Lord, please help me find significance in my career. I'm coming to you as my significance. This woman with the issue of blood, she was desperate. Uh, and she realized there's nothing on this earth that could help her. 
she realized that until I see that this world cannot help me, uh, I am never going to find Yeshua. That's why she was different. You know, everybody wanted a miracle. Uh, they were all coming after Yeshua. They were all, all crowding him. But, but uh, for this woman, all of her alternative solutions had failed. Uh, and that's the first step. Desperation. You, you're not going to find faith in Yeshua. If, you, if you're going to find faith in Yeshua, the first step is you've got to see your need and that no one else can fill it. The first step is desperation. Yeshua says, my power is made perfect in the one who admits their need. All you need is need. All you need is nothing. But most people don't have that. And that's why they don't have Yeshua. On the overhead, the main reason why people don't find Yeshua is not because they've got too little faith, but because they've got too much pride. And they will not admit their need. You see, properly understood, this is actually a wonderfully comforting story. This isn't saying that faith is something you've got to conjure up inside of you. No. Rather, the beginning of faith is simply admitting, I'm helpless. I'm weak. I'm the overhead. If you have, if you have not yet connected to Yeshua, the main reason is not because you haven't conjured up some kind of faith. Rather, it's because you still got too much pride to admit, without you, Yeshua, I'm nothing. So the overhead, that's the first point, desperation. The second point uh, is information. Notice this woman, she came to Yeshua. Why did she come to him? Look at verse 27, Mark 5, 27. When she heard about Yeshua, she came up behind him uh, in the crowd and touched his cloak. The text said that she heard about Yeshua. The Bible talks about faith not as opposed to thinking, but as something that goes in line with your thinking uh, and goes even beyond thinking. Uh, she came to him. Uh, and because she was ritually unclean, it was a very scary thing that she did. Uh, she did it, though, because she had heard about him. Somehow she got this information. Uh, she had learned something about Yeshua and his ministry and his miracles and his power. You know, today, very many, today, a lot of people incorrectly view faith as somehow opposed to thinking. As somehow going against what we know. Absolutely not. In fact, sometimes it takes tremendous faith to go in line with what we know uh, on the overhead. Because faith is not opposed to your thinking. Faith is opposed to your fears. Faith is opposed to your self-protection. So here's an example. Let's say you and five friends come to this huge gorge uh, in the middle of a jungle where this cliff drops off into the gorge 10,000 feet. And there's this terribly rickety bridge uh, spanning the gorge. And your five friends all go across the bridge. And all five of them are heavier than you are. <laughs> and now it comes to you. You now have a lot of information, don't you? <laughs> a lot of information. <laughs> now, does that mean it's not going to take faith for you to step out on that rickety bridge? No, it's still going to take a lot of faith. <laughs> but it's not faith against the information. It's faith in line with the information. It's faith also going beyond the information because you've got to step out and if you want to have faith in Yeshua the Messiah you must learn about him who he is uh, what he did and you learn this by reading and studying the scriptures uh, especially the gospels which is why we're doing this in-depth verse-by-verse uh, series on the book of Mark so you don't just close your eyes and say I'm going to believe whatever God's may be <laughs> 
No. You've got to learn about Yeshua and his person and his work. So you need to read. You need to study. You need to discuss. You need to find out about him. This woman with the issue of blood had heard about Yeshua on the overhead. So first, there's desperation. And second, there's information. And now number three, there's direction. It's the direction, not the dimension of your faith that saves you. This woman had actually pretty limited faith. Uh, she, she says in Mark five twenty eight, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now, if you're here last time, we talked about last time how, how some, about some uh, messianic symbolism in the, in the tzitzit, on uh, the corner of his garments. But it's not clear that she actually knew anything about that. Rather, her faith seems to be semi-superstitious, kind of a quasi-magical understanding of faith. It's not even clear she knew exactly who Yeshua was. She people only seen him as some kind of prophet and, and miracle worker. The reason why Yeshua has to pull her out of the crowd uh, and make her see it was her faith that saved her is because she probably doesn't even realize who he is uh, and what he's bringing to the world. She also doesn't yet realize what she herself needs, not only as a physical cure, but more importantly, a spiritual cure as well. She needs to realize uh, that she needs not just to, to, be, to be freed from her suffering, but she needs to be freed from her sins and become one of his disciples, someone who's willing to confess him publicly. And the reason she will pulls her out and does all this is because her faith is such a mess. It's theologically flawed. Uh, her faith is weak, bordering on the superstitious. But note, Yeshua heals her. And he doesn't say, now will you have faith? No, he says, I healed you because of your faith. Now, what does that mean on the overhead? It's not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the object of your faith. It's not the dimension of your faith, how big it is, but the direction of your faith, what you have faith in. And this is 180 degrees the opposite of the common view of the man and woman of the street thinks about faith. What do you hear over and over again today uh, in social media, uh, in the mainstream media, talk shows, TV, movie, radio? Everybody out there says, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it with all your might and all your heart. And Yeshua says here, it doesn't matter how heartily you believe it, as long as you're believing in the right thing. It's exactly the opposite. Totally the opposite. Uh, and the common view, it doesn't even make sense. There's has no common sense. Think about it. Imagine three people. They're being chased by a bear. Uh, they're running through the forest in, in the winter. Uh, they get to his le- a ledge, and uh, they realize the only way to escape is to jump down uh, onto this pond, on this frozen pond from the ledge. It's not a far jump, but they know that the bear won't do it. So the first guy says, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I'm going to go right through the ice, and I'm going to drown in this ice-cold water. But he jumps. And he hits the ice, and it's six inches thick, and he's saved. Second guy, he says, well, 50-50 chance, uh, I might drown, or the ice might hold me up. He hits the six inches of ice. He's fine. He's saved. The third guy says, this is probably going to work. It's been really cold for a long time. So he jumps, he hits the six inches of ice, he's saved. Now, which of these three is more saved? The one with the most faith? No, the amount of their faith was not the deciding factor, was it? The guy who said, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. He's saved. Why? 
he jumped. <laughs> Why was the woman healed? She just came to Yeshua. She reached out to him with whatever faith she had. How much faith do you have to have in the ice for it to save you? Just enough to jump on the overhead. How much faith do you have to have in Yeshua for him to save you? Just enough for you to come to him. And this is both a comfort and a challenge. The comfort is this. Don't focus on the quality of your faith and, and obsess over it. Don't say to yourself, well, the Bible says I'm saved by faith, uh, but I'm filled with doubts and I'm filled with fears and anxiety uh, and worry. My faith is flawed. But when the Bible says you're saved by faith, it does not per se actually say you're saved because of your faith. You know, if you start to say, you know, uh, uh, God's not going to hear my prayers because uh, I'm so filled with doubt and I'm filled with fear. But the Bible doesn't say you're saved through faith. Look at what it actually says, Ephesians 2, verse 8. And it says it says you're saved through faith. Look at for by grace you've been saved through faith. You see the guy, he, the guys jumped and they were saved. They were saved through the fact that they were willing to jump. But it wasn't per se uh, because of their faith that they were saved. No, their faith just connected them to the ice, Right? It was the ice that saved them. One had little faith, one had a lot of faith, but it didn't make any difference in their ultimate salvation. It was the object of their faith that connected them to their salvation that counted on the overhead. In the same way, we are saved by God's grace. And our faith in Yeshua is what connects us to that grace. It's not the level of your faith that counts, but the object of your faith. It must be in the one who can save you, Yeshua the Messiah. So Yeshua was saying, it doesn't matter if you believe in something with all your heart, if what you believe is wrong. The level of your faith, it won't save you. It's the object of your faith that counts. He's saying, all that matters is that you come to me. There's a famous hymn, you probably heard of it, if you've ever listened to or watched or went, gone to any of the Billy Graham Crusades back when. On the overhead, uh, just as I am, uh, here's one of the verses. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within and without, O Lamb of God, I come. That's what connects you to Yeshua. So if today you say, Rabbi David, I really don't know what you're talking about totally. <laughs> But for some reason, I want to come to Yeshua. I'm not, I've got these messianic friends who bug me all the time to death and they bother me. But I want to come anyways. I was turned off growing up by all the hypocrisy in the congregation that I grew up in. But I'm going to come. If that's you, then you can know Yeshua. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be saved today. Because it's the determination, not the strength of your faith, that connects you to Yeshua. You just need an act of your will to repent and submit to him. To simply say, I'm turning from my sin, and I'm turning from myself, and I'm turning to you, Yeshua. And that's the comfort. But it's not just a comfort. As I said, there's also a challenge here as well. Because you cannot make excuses for yourself anymore. Saying, oh, I wish I had your faith. 
Oh, my wife, she believes. Or or, or, my mom believes. My, my, My dad believes. I just wish I had their faith. But I just don't. Look at the text. What is Yeshua saying? How much faith did this woman have? Uh, she's scared, she's superstitious, but she comes to Yeshua. She had enough faith to simply to come to him on the overhead. What connects you to Yeshua is to get rid of your pride and to come in spite of your fears and to say, I don't understand everything about you, Lord, but I know that there's no other doctor who's going to cure me. That's all it takes. And there's a fourth component on the overhead, fourth component to true saving faith. So we have desperation, information, direction, and finally substitution uh, on the overhead, please. Something happens here in this account that even surprises Yeshua. Uh, when she touches him, all of a sudden he feels weak. Uh, and this had probably never happened to him before. Which is the only way to explain you know, why he seems so surprised. When you reach the other stories in literature uh, of of magicians and shamans and sorcerers, it takes real exertion on their part in order for them to use magic. Uh, They roll up their sleeves. They do incantations. uh, They invoke a higher power. But one thing you find whenever you see Yeshua exercising divine power all through the Gospels is that it is utterly unlike anything else you see in any other story or legend or myth. Yeshua never, ever, ever exerts himself. When he's in the storm, Mark chapter 4, uh, there's this nor'easter, <laughs> this hurricane, remember, last time, a couple times ago, this incredibly powerful storm. They're about to sink. What does Yeshua do? Does he stand up? Does he roll up his sleeve? Does he say, in the name of the Lord? No, what does he do? He simply says to the storm, shut up, be quiet, be quiet. <laughs> And the storm immediately stops. Or right here at the end of Mark 5 with with Jairus' daughter. He confronts death. He confronts death itself, the power in the universe. What does he do? He's telling everybody, stand back now. Does he invoke some higher power? Raise a wand? No. What does he do? He sits down. He says, little girl, get up. Yeshua never breaks a sweat. Because this isn't some magician. This is the creator of the universe himself in flesh and blood. He comes down in human form. This is divine power. This is authority. The crowd keeps asking, who is this? Who is this who has such authority who can still the wind and the waves? Authority means from the author. The one who created mankind. The one who built the body. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who created the storms and nature. But for the first time, when she touches him, he loses power. No wonder he stops. What is this? Who touched me? He says. Look at Mark 5, verse 30. And once Yeshua realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? On the overhead. The point is, for her to get strong, he must become weak. And here's why. She's unclean. Because of her blood flow, she has not been able to go into public worship for 12 years. According to the Levitical purity laws, if you were diseased, if you, were, if you had running sores, if you had touched a corpse, if you would touch someone who had touched a corpse, uh, you know, if you uh, uh, had a blemish or, or a flow of blood like this woman, you could not go into public worship. 
You were ceremonially, ritually unclean. You were unfit, unacceptable for the presence of God. This was God's way of showing people that we are sinners. That we are not acceptable in ourselves uh, in his presence. Uh, No matter how hard we try, we're never going to make ourselves clean. It's impossible. And that's why there's this very, by the way, this very cryptic and very strange uh, place, this verse in the Torah, uh, Exodus 28, 38, that's describing the garments of the high priest uh, who goes before God with the sacrifices of the people. There's a very strange verse that says this, Exodus 28, 38. Now when Aaron goes in with the gifts of the people, any guilt in the offerings of the people will be upon his head so that the people may be acceptable to the Lord. This is a very cryptic verse. When properly understood, this goes to the heart of substitutionary atonement and Yeshua's role as our great high priest, our substitute. The verse says that even the very best sacrifices that the people would bring before the Lord uh, uh, to attain into his presence, they'll be unacceptable. And therefore, the only way that the people could come into God's presence is if the high priest bears their guilt uh, on their behalf. He must bear on his own head the guilt of their uncleanness on the overhead. And so Yeshua now, perhaps for the first time, experiences this weakness before God. Because God was giving him a foretaste and giving us a foreshadow of what was going to happen on the cross and the overhead. The reason this woman became clean wasn't that her uncleanliness went into thin air. It wasn't that her weakness went into thin air, but rather because Yeshua took her uncleanness. She got strong because he got weak. This is substitution. On the cross, Yeshua takes our place. He was our Yom Kippur scapegoat, upon which our sins were laid. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his stripes we're healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it's all beautifully summed up in Second Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Yeshua, the Messiah. God made him who knew no sin to be sin or to be a sin offering for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the overhead. The only way she could become clean, the only way you can become clean, is at his expense. He has to be cut off. He has to be thrown out. He has to be killed outside the camp, outside the city gates. He has to be forsaken so that we can be taken in on the overhead. And therefore, the thing that connects you to Yeshua, the thing that will enable you to be reconciled to God, You must not just look at Yeshua in general, but you must look to the cross, that execution tree in particular, on the overhead. You've got to see Yeshua crying out on the cross for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see him doing this for you. You've got to see his substitutionary atoning work for you and embrace it and repent and put your trust in him and what he's done for you. She touches him. 
An unclean woman touches him, and she's not struck dead. Why not? You know, when God came down on Mount Sinai to give the Ten Commandments, he said, let no one touch the mountain, for I am holy and you will die. And here's this woman, not just touching a mountain, touching the God of glory. Not just the mountain upon which his feet happened to stand, but touching the one in whom God dwells in bodily form. And she touches him. And so either she has to die or he does. Either she has to break or he does. And he does for us. And so these are the four elements on the overhead, four elements of saving faith. Desperation, information, direction, and substitution. This is how you connect to Yeshua, the Messiah. So let me close with one now advanced lesson on faith that we learned from the second story here, uh, the healing, the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. We know from the story that Yeshua is in this EMS truck, if you will, this emergency truck. <laughs> they're on their way to Jairus' house, and they're, they're rushing him to, to the house uh, and to heal the little girl who's dying. But Yeshua, all of a sudden, he stops the truck <laughs> to talk to this woman with the issue of blood. And while he's talking to her, and he goes on and on talking to her, while he's talking to her, this news comes that Jairus' little girl has died. Although Jairus and the disciples don't know it, Yeshua was purposely delaying so that they would see something they otherwise never would have seen in order to build their faith. Of course, his delay in the first instance enables him to show his resurrection power uh, in raising this girl from the dead. But this delay also shows us this. Yeshua is with you in the storms of life. Uh, And if you are going to grow in your faith... And if you were going to learn to trust him, you must learn to trust him in the midst of the storms. Remember the last chapter, Mark 4, Yeshua was with his disciples in the boat. He got this tremendous storm on the Canaret, on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples wake Yeshua up. He was, he's been sleeping. They wake him up. They say, don't you care if we perish? And what they're really saying is this. If you loved us, you wouldn't let us go through these storms. These tragedies wouldn't be happening to us. And Yeshua says, peace be still, where is your faith? And now here in chapter 5, Yeshua is saying, do you understand that my loving, caring power in your life is indeed compatible with tragedy and trouble? But that I am in there with you in the midst of the storms. When Yeshua walks into this little girl's room, he says, she's just sleeping. And they all laugh at him. Now, by the way, she is dead. There's no question about that. There's no other reason he would have sent everybody else out and said, tell nobody about this. This was a resurrection. Uh, Okay, but then why does he say, oh, she's just sleeping? He says she's sleeping because I'm here. What Yeshua is saying to the disciples, what he's saying to this family, Jairus' family, what he's saying to you is that the only real storm that can really sink you I'm taking. And so all the other storms in your life are small by comparison. And I'll be with you in them, and they will build and refine and strengthen your faith. He walks into Jairus' house, and he says on the overhead, the only real death that can kill you, eternal death, forsakenness by the Father, I'm taking. And all other deaths are just sleep. Yeshua says, if you understand what I've done for you, 
then you won't get so bent out of shape by all the troubles that come into your life. Uh, because they're not real troubles. I've taken the real troubles. And therefore, you must know the difference between believing in him versus believing in your agenda for him. A lot of people say, yeah, I had faith in God, but he let me down. No, you did not have faith in Yeshua. You had faith in your agenda for what you wanted him to do for you. And he hasn't done it. And so you never really had faith in Yeshua. Rather, you had faith in your agenda of what you wanted him to do, uh, and how and when you wanted him to do it. But but, But it's when tragedy and trouble and disappointment comes, it's there and there alone that we really build our faith. If we cling to Yeshua and to him alone, and, 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 we, and we, um, we, we set our expectations on him and not about how we want him to order our life. Yeshua says, trust me. I've taken the only death that can really kill you. I've taken the real death. I've taken the real trouble. Uh, I've taken the only disease that can really kill you eternally. I've still the only, I have stilled the only storm that can really sink you. And I've given you my life and my joy and my peace and my eternal, infinite love. Just like with Jairus' little daughter, uh, Yeshua was saying to you today, I want to take you by the hand, I want to raise you up, and I want you to dance with me. To have an intimate relationship with me, your creator. My holy brothers and sisters of Etzchayim, like Jairus' little girl, it's time to wake up. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. I'd like the music team to come on up. Hallelujah. Father, Father, we thank you for these lessons today on faith. Yeshua, we know that uh, living in, in a religious community, it's so easy for us to, to be around you, to be in close proximity to you, to be talking about you, to be going to Bible studies and youth groups and, and reading your word and attending worship services, and yet never really touching you. Lord, I don't want to be that person. Help me not to be that person. Help me to have true saving faith, to truly live for you. Lord Yeshua, I confess that I am desperate without you. Desperate and hopeless. No human doctor can cure the sickness in my soul or fill the void in my soul. Only you can. So, Lord Yeshua, I come to you today. I'm not coming to you to help me find true love. I'm coming to Yeshua as my true love. I'm not coming to you to help me find significance in my career. I'm coming to you as my significance. Lord Yeshua, I repent of my pride that's kept me from you. I humble myself. I reach out to you in faith. I turn from my sin, I turn from myself, and I turn to you. Yeshua, just as I am, I come to you. Because you and you alone are the one who saves. You, Yeshua, became weak so that I could become strong. You took my sin, you became sin for me, so that I could connect to your righteousness. And so now I can dwell under the shadow of your wings and be with you forever. And I pray this all in your name, B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.